Moses led the children of Israel through years and years of victory and defeat. The Israelites depended on him to instruct them in the ways of God. Once Moses was gone, however, the Israelites needed a new leader, especially as they prepared to face one of their biggest challenges yet, Jericho. Joshua was called upon to take the mantle from Moses and lead. Although this was overwhelming, Joshua was not alone. As he began his new role, he was given promises from God. Those same promises are extended to us today. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think the things that would challenge our faith in God is when hard things happen to us, tough things that we think He should love us, and sometimes maybe we want to be a little pampered. It's easy to keep the faith when we're at a high moment in life, when we have something good going for us. And I think it's a little bit more of a struggle when we have those hard times, when we know that with all of our heart we have to trust on the Lord and just rely completely on Him. I think mortality makes um, can make it challenging. Um, mortality was meant to test us and try us and prove us, and that's not going to be an easy road. There's lots of bad and terrible things that happen in the world, and that's a part of life. But if we you know, don't strive to keep God in our lives, then it's hard to keep faith in Him when those challenges come. I think that at different times in our lives, different sorts of things test us, but, but I think that that's part of the process. Welcome everybody, thank you for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our studies in Joshua chapters one through eight and chapters 23 and 24. And the first topic we're gonna discuss is, God will be with me if I'm faithful to him. And the second topic we're gonna discuss is, finding my own faith lessons from the fall of Jericho. And to help us with our discussion, we wanna welcome back one of our returning scholars, Patrick Mason. Welcome, Patrick. Great to be here. Patrick is from Logan, Utah. He teaches uh, history and religion at Utah State University, and he is the proud father of four beautiful children. They are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and seated next to Patrick, we have our special guests, Gail and Lanning Porter. Uh, the Porters are from Sandy, Utah. They have five kids, 19 grandkids, and one great-grandchild. They served in the uh, Temple Presidency together in uh, Bolivia, and Lanning is retired from the U U.S. Army uh, with the rank of Colonel. Welcome, Porters. Thank you. Now, before we jump into our first topic, I just want to get some general thoughts uh, from the readings that we're studying this week. Well, it's a lot of warring going on. <laughs> It tends to make you wonder, is the Lord a loving? Because uh, he was pretty harsh on him. And I, and I relate the Lord's relationship with his uh, children with us as parents to our children. And how do you want your children to turn out? And how, what do you do to get them there? And the Lord had to do some pretty harsh things to teach. He's a teacher. You know, and uh, your husband may know a lot about, you know, the, the physical wars that exist today. But I'm sure with your experience, you know, as a wife and a mother and, and other aspects of your life, you've learned some valuable lessons on the spiritual war uh, that we're all involved in mm -hmm. uh, at this yeah. time. So let's jump right into our first topic, which is God will be with me if I'm faithful to him. Uh, do you mind giving us some context? What's happening right now uh, with the children of Israel? So 
now Moses is gone, mm-hmm. uh, as, as, as we've, we've talked about, and, and he, he had appointed Joshua as his successor. And now, we, had, we learn about Joshua, we're introduced to Joshua at earlier. the end of Deuteronomy, correct? Yeah, well, and even earlier than that, because he was one of the spies. Moses had sent spies okay. into the Promised Land, and, and you remember the story that most of them came back, and they were terrified, right. and they said, this will never work. Joshua was, was one of the only ones who, who had faith and okay. courage, right? And, and so, so he had shown his, his faithfulness and, and became one of Moses' right-hand men, uh, you know, earlier than that. And so, so he becomes Moses' successor, uh, but Moses is gone now, and, and now the commandment is to, is to move into the promised land. And, and so that's, that's right where the action picks up as, as we move into Joshua. They're, they're, on the other, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. The promised land is on the west side, so they're going to have to cross the river, and then the, the first major city, you know, the, that it talks about them going through is, is going to be Jericho. Okay, so um, I'm curious from, uh, I want to see from the Porter's perspective, and Brother Lanning, specifically with your background in military, Moses saw something in Joshua um, that I think led to the Lord calling him to that position. What are some things throughout your career uh, that you noticed made somebody a good, strong leader? The thing that stands out with Joshua and with all great leaders, I think, is obedience. Mm. You, you obey and you, you have set an objective and you are precise and exact in how you go about achieving that objective. Joshua did that in spades. You know, I think sometimes when we get into the book of Joshua, we immediately want to jump to Jericho. Um, but there's a lot that takes place leading up to that uh, that really shows um, that the Lord will be with us as we exercise faith in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to kind of give us a little background on, on kind of those historical events that we may not uh, always recognize within yeah, this sure. book? Sure. So I think it starts right in chapter one. The very first thing that Joshua does is remind them of their purpose. Uh, so in the last episode, we talked about Deuteronomy. We talked about the covenant, the renewal of the covenant that the people had made, uh, that Moses had done with them. Joshua does the same thing. And I think this is where he picks up exactly where Moses leads off. So if you, if you pick up Joshua chapter one uh, and go to, to verse seven, This is what he tells the people. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee, right? So Moses had just given them the law. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, right? Stay on the the straight and narrow that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest because this was the promise that God had given them. If you keep the covenant, I will bless you, right? And then he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So so he tells them right out of the gate, have this sense of a purpose, right? Who you are and and what this is all about. And so he he once again reminds them of their covenant with the Lord. And if they keep their covenant, they're going to be blessed. And it's, that's the kind of fuel, that's the kind of spiritual fuel that they have to then go into some of these later trials. I love that. Because uh, they're being asked to do some, some pretty difficult things. Yeah. Um, you know, from, from your experience, how have you seen others exercise this faith in God, even though they may be through hard times or through a circumstance that they may not quite understand? I think the, my faith in God got me through the hard times. Really, I, you know, many, many times I'd say, I don't know how people 
manage their lives without something to hang on to. And I, in fact, just a few months ago, I was driving the car, driving home, and I kept worrying about this one thing, and it wasn't a big thing, but it was something that might happen. And suddenly, and I, just this overwhelming peace, it'll be okay. I don't know if that means this will happen or this won't happen, but whatever it is, it'll be okay. And that peace was just, I thought, that is such a comfort to have that ability at a time when you really need it. And many, many people don't know that. Mm. Yeah, and peace is one of the gifts of the Spirit, right? right? That's a gift. Yeah. I think, too, that uh, sometimes as we approach a real difficult assignment, and uh, perhaps it's even dangerous, we, I think we have to go into that circumstance knowing that our Heavenly Father is with us mm. and that mm-hmm. we are there uh, in many cases to serve Him and to serve our nation and to serve the brothers and sisters. And I think that uh, that assurance is a manifestation, I think, of, of faith. Thank you for sharing that because I think there's, there's a lot of similarities to what the Israelites are being asked to do um, to overcome so many obstacles. And so uh, before we get to the walls of Jericho, they have a pretty big obstacle yeah, right. that they have to cross. <laughs> right. And there's some specific instructions that they're given in order to overcome this obstacle. Do you want to speak on that for a yeah. little bit? Yeah, and I love, I'll, I'll say this is one of my favorite parts of, of the book of Joshua. So this is Joshua chapter three. So they've got to cross the, the Jordan River, right? And this is not just a, a, a little creek that you can just like step over. And so they've got this river in front of them. What, what are you going to do? How are we going to get across this, right? And now I could imagine some of them saying, well, Joshua, would just do your Moses thing, right? You know, lift up your staff and, and uh, you know, let, let, and, and part the waters and, and, and there we go. But that's not the direction they get. Uh, and, and so Joshua gives throughout chapter three, he's, he speaks to the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, right? Uh, which represents the presence of the Lord. And, and he tells them, you've got to step into the river. So this is chapter three, starting in verse 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water for Jordan overflows its banks at this time. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap from very far away. And verse 17, the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan but they had to get their feet wet. They had to step into the river. It wasn't parted until they actually stepped into it. And I think that in some ways for me, this is even a more powerful story than, than the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it kind of gives uh, a little bit of insight to this idea of taking that first yep. leap of faith, you know, stepping in. Uh, I wanted to ask the audience, when have you felt God's presence as you have exercise faith by taking that step into the water. Steve. Early in my career, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. In accounting, you can do a lot of different things. I did mortgages, I did real estate, I did all kinds of things. Working for a company and a controller, and one day they decided that uh, the fit was not right and they let me go. 
Short time later, I got another job. That job fell apart. And my step of faith was, I'm not getting any confidence in working for someone else. The Lord said, do it yourself. Go start your own practice. Build your own company, your own business. And it turned out to give me more freedom. It gave me everything I needed to take care of my family. And we've had a wonderful life because I was prompted to step forward and be brave. And the Lord gave me that strength to do that. So Steve, uh, taking that step into the water, you know, as we're talking about crossing over uh, the River Jordan, have you found that that has given you uh, even more confidence in other aspects of your life? It has. It's shown me that I can overcome difficult things. I can uh, follow the Lord and his guidance, but with his help, we can get anything done. Uh, Brother Port, I want to ask you, you know, as the Israelites are uh, beginning to cross, um, they're giving very specific instructions. Now, with your experience as a, as a military leader, how important is it for us to follow instructions with exactness? Well, it's incredibly important that uh, if you have someone who does not follow the instructions exactly, it's uh, most often the cause of something going awry. And you don't want anything to go awry, particularly in a military operation like this. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I like Joshua so much is because he is a military man mm -hmm. and he thinks like a military man. And the, the things that he, that he does, and he's talking to his, to his leaders and he's saying, go tell the people, and this is what I want you to tell them. And he was very specific. And so all the leaders went out and they communicated with the rest of the host, the, the army that they had. And what he did is got everybody together. Everybody was of one mind, one heart. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to do a hard thing by yourself. It's another thing to get a lot of people to, to do, do a hard, hard thing, thing together, right? That's right. And, and, and this so is it, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, so it takes order, it takes clear communication, delegation, right? All these kinds of principles that, mm -hmm. are, that apply in all, all kinds of different areas of life, right? right. Mm -hmm. So Joshua's saying, trust me. Yes. Trust mm -hmm. me what I'm doing. And we, mm -hmm. the Lord is asking us the same thing. So I wanted to, to make that connection that, you know, there are times that we're going to be asked to trust those that have charge over us, whether it's our parents, somebody at work, you know, in the military, you know. Uh, so how, do you, how did you do that? How did you help people gain that trust and faith in you? Gail? Well, I was just thinking, it's, it's line upon line. It's little things you start. I mean, he didn't start out as a colonel. He mm. was a second lieutenant. <laughs> they don't give many orders, but they take a lot. <laughs> and so, and, but he was learning, you know, all the way, or the same thing with your family. Your little kids learn to trust you because you're trustworthy. You don't sneak up on them. And it's just one of those things you don't just do, get it overnight and people don't learn to trust you overnight. Okay. You uh, do little things little by little and they find out, hey, you know, she knows what she's doing or we can follow her because she'll keep us safe. One of the things that's, that's really important is that you're, the people that you have subordinate to you have to know that the decisions that you make are in their best interest. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. And we can take great confidence knowing that, you know, that's how our Heavenly Father is with us. We can trust right. that He has our best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. Camille. 
Yeah, well, I think that people um, can gain trust in you as a leader by first showing them that you are obedient, by first proving yourself mm -hmm. before you're given that charge or that position. If you can prove to others that you have been obedient in the past and that you understand what it takes to be obedient and how uh, the result of that obedience is success, I think that they are more likely to follow you. So displaying first that you can and then show them that they also can along with you. Thank you so much. This has been a great discussion of our first topic, God will be with me if I'm faithful to Him. I choose God by doing all the things in my day-to-day -day life that He's asked me to do. Um, by living my life, raising my family um, according to His commandments, to keep the covenants that I made in the temple that are for my day-to-day -day life. I choose to serve God by just being the best mom that I can, being the best neighbor I can, being the best church leader that I can and always trying to put his will before my own. We're willing to follow the direction that we get from God, even at times where it's, it's difficult or it doesn't seem completely logical to us that we're willing to follow what God asks us to do. I have to make that conscious choice that I want God in my life. I want him to be my focus. And then I, that continues in my heart, I, as I show I love Him by obeying the commandments, and through my actions as I strive to follow His example and to serve and to love others. So moving on to our second topic, uh, finding my own faith lessons from the fall of Jericho. Now, the Israelites, they've crossed over Jordan, and now they've approached the city of Jericho. Uh, Brother Porter, do you want to give us a little bit of some context on what they're about to do? Sure. The Lord is very specific. He's giving Joshua the instructions and the tactics that they're, that they're going to use to destroy uh, the stronghold, which is Jericho. We're in chapter 6. Okay. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor, and ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with trumpets. And that was the instruction that was given to Joshua. And then he continues, he says, that, uh, And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, the wall of the city shall fall down, and the people shall ascend up, every man straight before him. So they were surrounding the city. As soon as the walls fell down, everybody was just to go straight ahead. It was a straight on assault by everybody that was surrounding the city. So where do we find the faith? What are some faith lessons as we uh, dive uh, further into this story, specifically the taking of Jericho? What are some faith lessons that we learn from this? For me, they did what the Lord told them to mm -hmm. do. What greater demonstration of faith can you show than to just do what the Lord tells you to do? I mean, it is, it's a weird thing it that is. he tells it's, them to yeah, do. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. 
I mean, are you going to go up and blow your horn before a, a wall and expect it to fall down? Yeah, I mean, my, well. my, my son in sixth grade plays trumpet, and it oh. might bring down, like, glass uh, or something like that. But, but a whole walled city, I, I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> but what you're missing on that is the Lord told him to do it first. He just, yes, You exactly. just don't go out... Yeah, so if the Lord tells you to do it, then maybe you've got a better chance of it working. You know, and there's a great example in the scriptures uh, with Nephi being asked to do something that he's mm -hmm. like, wait, wait, really? You want me to take my sword and do what to Laban's mm -hmm. head? Right. And so sometimes, you know, we're asked to do something that we may not fully understand. Have you ever been asked to do something from the Lord that you really weren't quite sure why you were asked to do that? Afton. I had an experience where the Lord put me in a leadership position that I did not feel that I could do. And my first experience as a leader, I walked down the hall and I said to a woman, hi, how are you doing? And she said, I'm okay. And the spirit said, no, ask her again. And I said, no, really, how are you doing? She looked at me, she said, people don't ask you that. They just assume that we're gonna say, okay, and walk on. And she said, I really need someone to talk to. And it opened up a whole world to me of people who need help, someone to listen to. We don't have all the answers for them, but they needed someone who could listen. You know, I love how these are all faith-promoting experiences that the Lord is trying to, to give us to help strengthen our relationship with Him. And we had a, a question from one of our viewers, and I'd love to get you know, insights and comments from, from you guys about this. Hi, I'm Ben from Lehigh, Utah. My question is, in Joshua chapter 24, we are taught that the Lord has chosen us to serve Him. How would I know I'm in the service of God? It's a really good question. How do I know? You, you, you can say it. Yeah, I, I'm making this choice, but how do you really know when you are in the service of God. Maybe by the way, way you feel about it. Mm. You know, everything that comes from God is good. So you're not gonna be serving him if you don't feel good about it, right? There are a lot of things out there when we say we could worship the God of the Hittites or whatever, but there are things that mean more meaning to us is there's a lot of things that people get hung up on and they, it becomes a religion for them. I mean, exercise. Mm or uh, cars, or a lot of those things. And do you, it's okay to want to exercise. Certainly it's okay to have a nice car, but does that take precedence over your service to your heavenly father? I mean, I, I, I avoid that by just not worshiping at the altar of exercise at all. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, That's not I, a problem for yeah, me. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm really good at <laughs> that. So, so I love, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes Latter-day Saints uh, have this question of, of few, because we know all these things we could be doing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's always more. There's somebody else you could visit. There's another good thing to do, right? You, you, there's another scripture to read. There's another temple session to go to, right? More, 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 more. And sometimes that actually, that, that can lead to anxiety, can lead to depression. It can feel like God doesn't love me because I'm not perfect, right? I mean, it's, so this, is, this is like a serious question that mm -hmm. I think a lot of people deal with. And, and I really like what the Lord tells us in section 64 of, of the Doctrine and Covenants. He says in verse 34, Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, 
and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. So the willing and obedient. So is anybody perfectly obedient? No, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Do we try? Yes, of course, right? But the willing and what God wants is our heart, our willingness. And I think that we can sort of gauge. Again, is that ever gonna be perfect? No, but, but what, where is my heart? Where do, do I want to serve the Lord? If so, then God says, I'll take you. I'll take it. I love that. So one of the kind of unsung heroes uh, of this story of Joshua and Jericho comes from a character we, we may not recognize. Uh, and this is the story of Rahab. And uh, Patrick, do you want to give us a little background on Rahab, who she was, and what is her role in helping the children of Israel complete their task? Yeah, so we learned about Rahab beginning in chapter two of Joshua. And, and so Joshua uh, sent a couple of spies into the city to kind of, uh, I assume that's a good military tactic, right? Mm -hmm. you know, gather some intelligence, right? right? And, and they go, uh, so chapter two, verse one, uh, they came into an harlot's house named Rahab. Now, this is not a profession that I'm gonna encourage my daughters to go into, <laughs> right. all right? Okay, but, uh, but this is interesting what happens now. So, so the, these spies um, uh, come into to, to Rahab's house she, and she hides them mm -hmm. uh, because somehow the, the leaders of the city know that there's, there's some spies who have come in. And why is she hiding them, right? It's because basically she had seen the, the, the armies of Israel kind of moving and then she strikes a deal with them. I mean, she's smart too. She's smart, she's very smart, yeah. She's smart, mm -hmm. and, and she says, look, I'm hiding you, I'm saving your lives, so when all y'all come into the city, <laughs> right, uh, then you gotta promise to save my family and I as well, and, and they, they, they make a deal, a life for a life, right? And, and she is saved. And for me, this is one of the, the, the great parts of this story. She will be an ancestor of Jesus, She's listed in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter one. Hmm. In the book of Hebrew, she, Hebrews, she's lifted up as an example of faith. Wow. This is a woman who we would not look highly upon in terms of her profession, her status in society, but this is what the scriptures show us over and over and over is God looks on the inward part mm. of, mm -hmm. of who we are. Because right? clearly there's something about her, yeah. you know, uh, spiritually and practically that she could be of use uh, to um, uh, complete his, you know, his goal or his mission for the Israelites. I think it shows that maybe we do too much judging of mm. people mm. because we don't know the inner self of the person, but the Lord does. And at first when you'd say Rahab, you know, they- Rahab the harlot, the harlot. right? Yeah, what, what's the first thing you think of? And then you, you think to yourself, maybe I shouldn't be thinking that. Maybe she, you know, this woman has worth and the Lord loves her. Yeah. And he used her in a righteous way and it proved to be good for both of them. I, I love what we learn, not only about Rahab, but just how good God is mm -hmm. to, and that he really wants all of his children. And in those times when maybe we feel like I'm worthless, he could still use us and we still have value to him. Overall, in general, what faith-promoting lessons do we see from the, the fall of Jericho? Patrice. Um, this story really kind of speaks to me in the sense that we, as we all said here, could be just as Rahab, how God can use us mm -hmm. no matter what our history is. 
no matter how far we've fallen to the ground, if we have life in our body, God can still use you in a great and mighty way. Don't subtract or throw yourself away and judge yourself. And don't think that God can't use you because he can. And this woman is a beautiful demonstration of that. So none of us have fallen so far down that God can't use us. We are greater. What God has for us is greater, our future, what he has for us. And so never underestimate what God can do through you if you're obedient. And I just love that story. What powerful words. Patrice, yes. uh, how, is, how have you seen God use you? I feel like I, God has given me the gift of encouragement. So um, I am a word of encouragement. I'm a, just even a simple smile, and it can change people's life, you know. Hey, gosh, you, you know, I really needed that. So um, just like I said, you just never know how God may use you. And the simplest thing could do something tremendous for someone. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, as we fast forward through um, the book of Joshua, we come to, again, this theme of, you know, we talked about last week, Moses and his last words. Mm. We see this theme throughout all the scriptures. And Joshua's really going to kind of put his stamp on, uh, on his life and on his level of commitment and dedication. Yeah, totally. So, so now, fast forward all these chapters, right? So Jericho's the first city, but then they go through in the next few chapters and take over, conquer a whole bunch of other cities, mm -hmm. right? So, so at this point now, they, they're, they're in the promised land. And, and so now the message changes a little bit. So chapter 24, let's start in verse 13, actually, where, where God is saying, so they're in the promised land, and he says, I've given you a land for which you didn't labor, cities which you didn't build or dwell in, vineyards and all of your, olive yards which you, which you planted. Uh, you know, so, so it's like, I gave you all this stuff, right? You know? And then Joshua turns to the people and says, therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. So choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Actually, the next few verses, he, he like pushes them. He pushes them more. And, uh, but he says, this has got to be a choice that you have to make. I've, I've made my choice, right? But you've got to make your choice too. And the choice is real. I think that commitment is one of those things that sooner or later we have to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to make it out of this life without having to make some pretty serious decisions and decide which directions we're going to go. And I think this is one of the things that he, that he was saying here. You choose, you choose for yourself, but this is what I'm choosing. It's a great quote from uh, President Mawson. I think this really connects back to the story of, of Rahab. And he says, we live in a complex world with daily challenges. There is a tendency to feel detached, even isolated from the giver of every good gift. We worry that we walk alone. From the bed of pain, from the pillow wet with tears of loneliness, we are lifted heavenward by that divine assurance and precious promise. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. That is so beautiful and it really, mm -hmm kind of summarizes this whole theme of the children of Israel, you know, that as they're walking through the wilderness, they're traveling 40 years, yet the Lord constantly is reminding them that you never walk alone. Thank you so much for your comments. Thank all of you for your participation. 
in this portion of today's episodes as we've discussed the second topic, finding my own faith lessons from the fall of Jericho. During the program today, I felt the Holy Ghost talk to me several times. I kept having a lot of thoughts, and that's how I feel like the Holy Ghost usually does speak to me, as bringing thoughts to my mind. And a lot of thoughts of things um, that sort of reminded me, things that I'm grateful for, experience I've had that I appreciate and have contributed to my testimony and growth. And it's been a good experience to have those, just take the time to be able to think about those and remember those. I think the spiritual aspect of what I felt today was that we're all in the same boat, that we're, we're all growing together. Uh, the program is helping us to identify teachings that will help us personally and will help our families. And I think that's very meaningful to me and that helps build me internally, which is my spirit, which is Heavenly Father directing my life. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. Uh, we want to invite a new guest that we have, Janice Johnson. Welcome, Janice. Thanks. It's good to be here. <laughs> okay, Janice, you are a writer, you are a historian, and you have so many degrees. I, don't, I can't even name them, so I'm just going to let you. Will you just give us a little bit of background on your, your education and your field of expertise? So I graduated from BYU in political science, and then I decided I wanted to do history, so I have a master's in history, and then I went to divinity school. Um, so I went to divinity school at Vanderbilt okay. and then um, worked for the church history department for a little while and then went back to get my PhD. Um, and I moved to England for a few years, uh, went to the University of Leicester and got my degree in American history. Um, but I focus on, um, I have worked for uh, most of my career focused on the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Janice, for those that may not be familiar with the Mountain Meadows Massacre, do you mind giving us just a brief uh, explanation of what that is? Sure. The briefest explanation is that in 1857, uh, Utah had been declared by President James Buchanan to be in a state of rebellion, and things are very tense. Um, and two immigrant, two families who are immigrating to California, traveling through Utah, are murdered by a Latter-day Saint militia. We have ample historical evidence that Brigham Young did not uh, order the massacre, um, but it remains the darkest day in Latter-day Saint history. Thank you. Well, we're excited to, to have your insight, and, and as well as Patrick. Uh, Patrick, you wrote a book on, on uh, violence and Mormonism, is that correct? Yeah. And so, uh, and we, we, the reason why we're bringing this up is because there are some sensitive uh, subject matters in all of scriptures, specifically with today, we're talking about Joshua. And the book of Joshua itself, um, there can be a little bit of, of controversy. I don't know if you, do you want to call it controversy? Mm -hmm. But I really do think we would do a disservice to a lot of those watching uh, of any faith if we don't give some true background to the history of the book of Joshua and what we can take from it. Yeah, so, you know, in, in the book of Joshua, we've done a really great job of sort of pulling out some of these great spiritual principles that we can learn from the book. But this, this book has actually been a stumbling block for a lot of people's faith for a, for a very long time. In fact, 
a, a lot of atheists and, and people who, who criticize the, the, the Bible, they oftentimes point to the book of Joshua. Uh, and and why, do, why do they do that? Because in the book of Joshua, uh, we have accounts of God telling the Israelites, go in and wipe out these cities, right? So it begins in Jericho, but then there's several mm-hmm. other cities that they go to. And God specifically says, kill every man, woman, and child, right? Every man, woman, and child. In modern times, we call that genocide, mm-hmm. right? They're wiping out entire peoples. And so for hundreds of years now, um, there have been skeptics and critics who have said, the, the, the God in this book is a monster. Mm. For a lot of people of a lot of different faiths, right? Uh, they've either decided, like, I'm, th- this is not my God, this is not my book, right? I, I don't want anything to do with this. You, you really bring up some really good points that we, we really need to be sensitive to other faiths and other beliefs when we talk about these things um, and how others may feel about it. Or people who are Christian, people who are right. Jewish, Thank right? You. And they say, this, this is my scripture, mm-hmm. right? And I think that as um, Latter-day Saints, as we have implemented this new Come Follow Me um, lesson instruction, um, it's gotten people to read scriptures more seriously. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And But that is not always an easy thing. Mm-hmm. That means that we take things seriously, that we don't just brush them off. Um, I have spent um, most of my career working on the Mountain Meadows Massacre, and... I, I think that for me, it has created a, a philosophy or methodology of how I approach difficult things. And I approach them head on. I learn everything that I can learn about it. And then I go to the Lord. Mm. We don't shove things under the rug. We don't pretend that they didn't happen or gloss over them. But we take them seriously and we learn everything that we can learn about it. And I think that in this instance, when we actually try to learn more about this, it perhaps we see it differently. Yeah, and as Latter-day Saints, we have this belief that you know, we do believe in the Bible as far as it is translated correctly. How does that help us deal with the situation in the book of Joshua? The best scholarship that we have on, on the Bible right now by believing scholars, by, by pe- people who believe the, that the Bible to be the word of God, suggests that, that a lot of these earlier texts, I mean, the book of Joshua is not a memoir. It's not Joshua, you know, writing mm-hmm. this. The, the, this text actually is produced hundreds of years later. Um, uh, a lot of it at, at the time of, the, of King Josiah. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and so this is looking back at the kind of origins of the Israelite nation okay. in, in the promised land. So this is, a, this is a retrospective account on sort of like, where did our nation come from, right? So we, we know that this is an account written a lot later. We also know for over the past hundred years, uh, archeologists have done a ton of work in Israel-Palestine and they've excavated these places. So all these cities that, where, where the Israelites were supposed to have conquered and we know exactly where they are, right? And one of the easiest things for archaeologists to find are uh, ruins of battles, right? Okay. Because battles leave a ton of evidence, yeah. right? I mean, nobody, arrows and Nobody spears. cleans up after <laughs> right. a battle. Right. People maybe pick what they want, but right. nobody's there sweeping up everything. You would find evidence. all this stuff. So we know yeah. exactly what battles look like, that would happen at this time. And, and, and there is evidence of the battles from Old Testament times. In, in many cases. Okay. Of, of these battles that were supposed to take place in the, in, the, in, in the book of Joshua, all these cities that were supposedly taken over, we only have evidence of battles at two of 
of them, right? Oh, wow. So, so, so a lot of these cities, the, the, the book of Joshua talks about this violent genocidal conquest where every man, woman, and child was killed. Um, there's just not archaeological evidence okay. to, to support it. So, so it just forces us to think about a little bit differently about the people who wrote this account hundreds of years later. Maybe they weren't talking about it in, in historical terms the way that you and I think about history. Maybe they were writing an account with a different kind of purpose. Okay. And, and I think that there is some archaeological evidence that is actually useful to us to think about. There is an Egyptian steel from the, from, um, the 12th century that talks about that the land of Israel was conquered and there was nothing left. Now, these are conquest narratives, and we see them a lot in the ancient world. And these stories of how one civilization or one culture wiped out another culture. Now, these people tell themselves these stories to talk about our God is mm -hmm. the true God. You know, allegiance to our God will always pay off. But we know Israel was not wiped out. Perhaps that gives us a model here that this is more about how we think about God's relationship to the children of Israel okay. and to a prophet than it is an actual historical record like we would think of it today. You know, and, and even within the book of Joshua, we have some internal textual evidence that, that shows that maybe the story is a little more complicated than we okay. think. Okay, so, so if you go to chapter 11, verse 23, this is at the end. So, so all these chapters, basically from chapter 6 through 11, is all these stories of conquest, right? Okay. So all these cities that, are, that, are, that, that the Israelites have gone through. The last verse of chapter 11. So Joshua took the whole land, the whole land, Right, according to all that the Lord had said unto Moses. Okay, so so this says the Israelites came over; they took over everything. Like everybody else is gone, the Canaanites are gone now. Right, but then in chapter thirteen, in chapter fifteen, in chapter sixteen, in chapter seventeen, <laughs> throughout the book of Judges, there's Canaanites all over the place. <laughs> so even when it says we conquered everything, they're all gone. We we you know we took the whole land. Well, it turns out there's still a whole lot of people left. So so again, the, the way that the text is trying to tell the story. Is, is maybe, and, and, and the purpose of these stories is, is maybe a little bit different. And I think we have pretty sound evidence, both from the text itself, from archeology, span and most of all, from what we know about the character of God to, to, to maybe raise our eyebrow a little bit uh, at, at, at some of, the, some, some of these stories. So how do you find faith through this story of Joshua and the fall of Jericho? One, one part of the story that I love that, uh, that, that we didn't talk about it. it comes from chapter four of Joshua. After they've crossed the river Jordan, he says, now go, and he tells each of the 12 tribes, go and grab a stone. You know, so while, while the river is still parted, right? He says, grab one of these stones and, and, and bring it with you. Uh, and he says this in verse three, and then he tells them again in, in verse seven. So they, they all get these stones. And why do they get these stones, right? <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, I guess it's a cool like souvenir, uh -huh. right? but it's more than a souvenir. And this is what he says in verse 20 of chapter four. And those 12 stones, which they took out of Jordan, did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come saying, what mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. So these stones, it wasn't just a cool souvenir, mm -hmm. right? It was a reminder of the Lord's mercy, of the, Lord, the, Lord, the Lord's love, the Lord's goodness. And for me, I mean, this, this is one of my stones, right? And um, that of, of, of the things that sort of ground me, and, and this is one of the things I wanna pass on to my kids, right? These stories, uh, and, and that these stories point us to the God who delivered the children of Israel. Thank you, Patrick. Janice. I, I want, I was thinking about as Patrick was talking just in the chapter before, in chapter three, um, when Joshua is preparing the people. So you've got all these kind of technical de details of how they need to set things up. But in verse five, Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders mm -hmm. among you. We have to be prepared. We have to be holy. We call ourselves saints, um, not because we've already performed, you know, multiple miracles that have been canonized, but we call ourselves saints aspirationally because we want to be the holy ones. We want to be sanctified. And as we prepare ourselves and let the Lord make, literally make us holy, then if we are, demonstrate that kind of willingness, the Lord will do wonders among us. Beautiful. So Janice, uh, how has your extensive study in religious violence helped you find faith in, through this story of the fall of Jericho? So the fall of Jericho really turns me to Mormon. Okay. And thinking about the Book of Mormon, um, and thinking about scripture in its limited nature. The editors in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament try and make themselves invisible. They try and lose, you know, lose any sense that there have been multiple people working on this okay. text over time. Yet in the Book of Mormon, Mormon tells us what he's doing. He shows us, he's bringing together all of these records. And he's very um, forthright about what he's doing, but also about his limitations. And for me, that actually gives me faith that it's okay when I'm limited and when I can't see things clearly or don't have the complete story. Thank you. Um, actually, I want to add one more thing. Okay. <laughs> um, one of my favorite verses that we haven't talked about is when Rahab is speaking to the spies. They, they say, okay, our lives for, for yours. This is the ch change. And she asks them to show her and her family kindness. And for me, that overrides all of that violence. That this is what... Christ wants us to be is to demonstrate that loving kindness and for it to be reciprocal, for us to offer it to people and for them to offer it in return. The carnage and the death is never what we want. Mm -hmm. We want that loving kindness. Thank you. One of the scriptures that I think is really important that we have um, as part of the restoration was a revelation that was given to Joseph Smith uh, in 1833. Uh, and this, we have this as section 98 of the Doctrine and Covenants in verse 16. 
And, and he says, therefore, renounce war and proclaim peace, right? That, that is the, the basic principle that, that, that God gives to, to all of his followers and all of his children. But then after that, he lays out understanding that there are sometimes extreme circumstances, mm-hmm. there are sometimes, you know, uh, extenuating circumstances. In this uh, section of scripture, uh, in verse 32, he says, after he goes through these detailed principles of, of when it's justified for people to fight back or to defend themselves, he says, this is the law I gave unto my servant Nephi and thy fathers Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and all my ancient prophets and apostles. So what the Lord is telling he, us here is we can read ancient scripture through this modern revelation because mm-hmm. he says this is the law that applies not just in 1833, but to all of his ancient prophets and, and apostles. Thank you. And, and as those sections, the revelations that follow, this is the time the saints have been pushed out of Jackson County. They have, uh, horrific things have happened to them. And this would be a time to fight back. But the Lord's consistent message is sue for peace. Yeah. Do everything you can to bring about peace. Yes, you would be justified in acting out in your self-defense, but I will pour blessings out upon you if you sue for peace. The, the, the sanctifying option yeah. is, is to follow the prince of peace. You know, in the Book of Mormon, we see examples of just that. At times he says, okay, I need you to go fight. And other times, you know, we have uh, people that choose to lay down their weapons. Right. And as a result, several of them are slaughtered. Yeah. And you know, we can see how in either situation, the Lord is mindful of all his peoples uh, on, on whatever side they fall on. You know, he's always mindful of them and he has a plan for all of his children. And, and, and I think there's, a, there's an important sort of general principle here in terms of reading scripture. Oftentimes the scriptures are prescriptive, meaning this is what you ought to do. But oftentimes the scriptures are just descriptive, talking about stuff that happens, right? And then we're supposed to learn lessons from it. And, and the great lesson that, that Moroni tells us in chapter nine, verse 31, and the prophet Moroni says, condemn me not because of mine imperfection, neither my father because of his imperfection, neither them who have written before him, maybe including, you know, Joshua or any <laughs> of the others, but rather give thanks unto God that he has made manifest unto you our imperfections, that ye may learn to be more wise than we have been. This is the mark of a true prophet. Moroni knows he's been called by God, right? But he also knows that he's imperfect. And he knows that he relies on the atonement of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, look, I've done the best I can. I've told the story the best I can, but you're gonna see imperfections in this story. And why? So that you can learn to be better so that you can rely on Jesus Christ. That's where salvation comes. And I think they're not only imperfections in the stories, but they're imperfections in the individuals. In the people, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, if there is opposition in all things, there is also opposition in all of us. Mm -hmm. And it is easy. I, I have thought about this a lot, particularly with Mountain Meadows, but it is very easy for us to say, I am nothing like them. Mm -hmm. I would never do that. It is a much harder question to say, how am I like them? How can I stop myself so I would never do that? These are not easy things to live with. Um, But the fact of the matter is that today in the world, right now, we have so many 
of God's children who right now are victims of horrific things. And I think as, as Christians, you know, maybe it's, maybe we have to make ourselves uncomfortable and, and think about the pain and suffering that, that our sisters and brothers endure and then what responsibility we have to try to make it better. Yeah, I think mistakenly sometimes we think because if we feel uncomfortable, it's because the spirit's not there mm-hmm. and we should avoid those things. Um, but if we read scripture seriously and if we take scripture seriously, we recognize that there's going to be wrestling and there are going to be difficult questions and there are going to be people who do the wrong thing. A critical piece of working on Mountain Meadows was having that philosophy to look at difficult things head on. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's an important pattern for whatever our difficult thing is, whether it's a difficult personal thing or if it's a difficult thing that we find in scripture or our history or with a leader, um, that we face it head on, and we learn everything that we can, and then we go and we wrestle with the Lord. This isn't, sometimes our images of Christ or him placidly kneeling in Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. Not that moment of agony. Luke uses the language of agony. And I think that that is part of our mortal experience, dealing with hard things, And not excusing bad behavior, not ignoring it or pushing it under the rug, but approaching it head on and asking for God's grace. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank both of you. Thank you so much for adding to this conversation, from adding to this episode. And for those watching at home, thank you so much for joining us today. We want to remind you and invite you to follow any prompting that has come to you from the Holy Ghost, that you will take the courage, as we learn in Joshua, to be strong and have a good courage in following those promptings that you have felt today. Please join us again next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.